You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Nobody is lucky. Nobody is unlucky. They are sometimes blessed by the providence of God at all times. They are loved by Heavenly Father above. Providence is God's care for all things, even the tiny little thing. Didn't Jesus make that point when he said, not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from your father? We might even say his providence is seen so beautifully, especially in the little things. Who can work out all the details of a little answer to prayer except the Lord God? What are some of the ways you have observed the providence of God? In today's message from Pastor Tom, you will learn about the time that the 11 apostles sought to appoint the 12th apostle. The Lord provided them with a clear answer about who he had chosen. Our God is a personal God. He cares about all matters of your life. He brings provision for the big stuff and the seemingly small stuff. There is no such thing as being lucky or unlucky. You can trust that he is sovereign over everything. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Discover Hope. Judas was replaced because the church needed 12 foundational witnesses and 12 rulers for the future. No one else was ever replaced in Scripture or in early church history. Once the apostles died, well, you read Jude in his letter and he says, you need to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're gone. And you need to remember their words because we have to treasure them. There's not an apostle now. And like I said, you don't lay a foundation on the 21st floor. That would be rather idiotic. So there are no apostles in the church today. Even if someone carries the title, I'm sorry, I just don't acquiesce. Now notice how they were all involved in this decision making. Verse 23. So they, and notice it says they, not him, they put forward two men. I think the word they in verse 23 speaks loudly. This was not Peter's decision alone. Peter was a leader among leaders. He was not the whole decision-making body. Peter was not exalting himself. He was leading the flock to make proper decisions. And the flock got it, and they made a good decision here. Now, many had been around the apostolic group. We were so used to reading about the 12, we forget there was a time that Jesus sent out 70. Remember that? There were other bands of disciples that were in and out as Jesus came there. And so there probably had to be some sifting. Who are the right people? They have their group of 120. Which one of these men fits? My guess is that they consulted the women. That's just my guess because the women remember details a lot better than the men, right? One of the men would say, I think, you know, Joe over here would do a good job. And one of the women says, no, 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 no. He wasn't here for this and that and that. And it's like, oh, okay. And you don't read about that stuff, but usually women are involved in this stuff. So I think that they were. They did this process of elimination, probably is what it was, and they kind of pushed for these two guys. And the two men are in verse 23, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice. So he has three names. That's confusing, isn't it? And then Matthias. Only two men. Of all the men, only two are put forward. What does that tell me? That tells me the qualifications were strict. And notice again, God wants males leading his church. Now, I think it needs to be said here that we know absolutely nothing else about these two men, Justice and Matthias. There are no other scriptures that mention them by name. Maybe they were one of the 70. Hmm, you know. We do know that the whole assembly was satisfied with both choices. 
neither of these choices was a controversial choice. As far as they were concerned, either man was qualified. In fact, they were so satisfied that they now had a new problem. Which one of the two needs to be chosen? Because you can't have 13 apostles. So what were they to do? Well, please consider with me what they did not do. There was no vying for power among the apostles. We don't see the apostle Matthew, just pick on him, for example, leading the charge to have justice installed while John was lobbying in back rooms to get Matthias in. Nor do we see someone trying to get votes for his cause among the congregation. None of that. What they did was to make a formal public decision, not by the church. You need to notice this. They wanted the formal public decision to be by their Lord. They did not want to make the choice at all. They wanted the Lord Jesus above to decide. And so they employed the use of the sovereignty of God in the casting of lots. Now, here's where you might become a bit befuddled. What is this casting of lots and why did they choose to use them for such an important decision like this? Well, please look carefully at what they did. First, they prayed to the Lord. The Lord probably means Jesus. They're wanting him to be the specific one to choose his 12th apostle. So usually when Lord is used like that, it means Jesus above. And this was his apostle. In the prayer, they explained their situation to Christ. They're basically saying we've obeyed as far as we can obey. This is as far as we go as mere men. And they then commit the decision to the Lord Jesus above. They rested in the fact that Jesus knew the hearts of every single person on earth. By the way, that's what it says in the Gospels. For example, in John 2.25, it says, Jesus did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, since the Lord knew the hearts of men, after the prayer, they took the lots and they cast the lots to see which of the two Jesus chose to be his 12th apostle. They cast the lots not to select the 12th apostle. Please notice. They cast the lots to reveal the one Christ had already selected from heaven. Very fascinating. A past tense verb is used in 24. Show which one thou hast chosen. Wow. Now, I know all of this seems kind of strange to the 21st century church. So strange, as I said before, some interpreters think the apostles made a huge blunder right here, an apostolic faux pas. <laughs> but look at it again. How is this narrative presented? As something negative or as something positive? Well, you can read that it's presented as a positive action that they took. Why? And what were these lots? And what were they doing? Well, we need to dig into this a little bit. Lots were little objects probably made of stones, sometimes made of bones or some other kind of a material. They maybe had written two names on two different stones or possibly one stone was white, the other stone was a different color. Maybe one was shaped in a certain way. And then they cast the lots. The term drew lots there literally means gave lots. 
So maybe they put them in a container. Maybe they shook the container. And then one that fell out first was the one that was chosen. Or one that landed on a certain side was the one that was chosen. We don't know exactly what they did. But whatever they did, they made sure that the way that the lots were cast, only one would be selected. And that it would be clear to everybody in the entire room which one was selected and which one was not selected. It was some agreed-upon method that was foolproof. Now, typical criticism against the casting of lots includes that it sounds rather superstitious. It sounds almost even juvenile to some people. I mean, they're throwing dice? Is that what they're doing? At the very least, it seems this is unbecoming of mature saints of God. And so the criticisms have been heaped on the apostles for doing this. Again, I will say, I think the criticisms are unfair. Lots were a divinely sanctioned method for discovering God's choice on certain matters. The casting of lots presupposes the sovereignty of God over all so-called chance happenings. Proverbs Chapter 16 and verse 33, for example, sanctions the use of lots. It says, the lot is cast into the lap. So in that case, it just landed in their lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Pretty amazing. Proverbs 18 and verse 18 indicates the usefulness of using lots in peacemaking. When people had a conflict, this was a way to solve things. The lot puts an end to contentions and decides between the mighty, Proverbs 18.18. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 8, God instructed Aaron, the high priest, to cast lots to determine the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. Lots were profusely used in the days of Joshua when they entered into the land of promise and they were deciding who got what holdings. Lots were even used to expose things that were hidden. Possibly lots were used to help discover Achan's sin and his greed in Joshua chapter 7. When Jonah was on the boat and all the sailors were trying to figure out why the storm was sent to destroy them, they knew someone had offended some god and they cast lots. And guess what? It worked. It pointed Jonah out. The most famous casting of lots ever was beneath the cross of Christ. Do you remember that? That was even prophesied about in Psalm 22. It said, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So that they would not argue. Who gets to have this clothing? Well, let's play for it. Let's gamble for it. Let's cast lots for it. So the Jews were actually taught by God not to gamble, but to use lots. And they had used lots for centuries all throughout their history to make decisions, to keep peace. These 120 that are gathered here are Jews. They're all Jews, every last one of them. And here, the use of lots between these two men was allowed by God and used by the brethren. It allowed the decision to be made between two seemingly equal candidates and put that decision in the hands of the Lord. We won't decide, Lord. You will decide. So some people ask and they want to know, we come to a passage like this, should lots be used today? It appears that the Lord allows lots to be used in certain situations. 
First notice here, though, that there is no moral decision that was being made among the disciples. They weren't casting lots to try to figure out the will of God on things that God had already revealed in the Bible, right? If there was an ethical question, they wouldn't turn to lots. They would turn to the scriptures and they would reason from the scriptures concerning whether something was morally right or wrong. Notice also that they had two equally good candidates that were presented. They were not using the lots to do what common sense and logic could do for them. If there was a candidate who had been there 95% of the time and one had only been there 40% of the time, they wouldn't be casting lots. They'd say, well, this is the guy that's been here the most and we use our logic and we know what the will of God is and we're going to pick this guy. But they had two candidates that after they'd exhausted all of that, they really couldn't tell who the Lord would choose. So they had done everything that they could do up to that point in time, and they decided we need to pray. We need to bring this as a formal matter. This is not just a child out in the street casting some dice or something like that. This is the church gathering together in a formal setting with a real need, with Scripture backing them up, appealing to their God, make the decision. The very special situation. It is true, and some have pointed this out, that following Acts chapter 1, we never read about Acts. Uh, lots being used in the book of Acts or in the rest of the New Testament. After the Spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost, which is the very next event in Acts chapter 2, we never read about it again. But we have to also say that that's an argument from silence, and there's plenty that the church did that we have no record of either. Lots are never forbidden at any time, and the basis for lots remains to this day. And what is that basis? That there is a sovereign God in the heavens, and he is sovereign over even the smallest of occurrences down here on earth. There is no such thing as luck in a universe where God is sovereign over stardust. Did the Holy Spirit's arrival on the day of Pentecost do away with the need for ever using lots? Some people believe so. It's difficult, however, to prove that. Apart from the gift of prophecy, which was divine revelation, the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry was not with an actual audible voice, some voice outside of Scripture. Rather, the Holy Spirit's coming and his enlightenment and his teaching was really in taking scripture that they knew and truth that the apostles were teaching and enlighten the minds of people so they would know how properly to apply scripture in their lives. His teaching was more of guidance, of evaluating their motives and understanding how the truths of God's word fit in certain settings. Some decisions simply are not spelled out by the Holy Spirit. They're not in the word of God, but they are decisions still that need to be made. So it is possible in some situations, the church or believers would need some objective way of making the decision beyond someone saying, well, I just feel in my heart, this is the way we ought to go. That's too subjective for the church to rely on that. Lots are something cast out in front of everyone and have a clear objective outcome. So why then do we have an uneasiness with this whole idea? And I know you do, because as I came to this passage, I did. Why is there this uneasiness on the part of the modern church to even think about the use of lots? Maybe the church's suspicion about lots comes from our suspicion, and rightly so, about dice and using dice and gambling. Obviously, there's attendant corruption with gambling, 
where none of us are happy that there's an increased legalization of gambling, where it's just all supposedly chance events and people get hooked into this and their money gets lost. And I hope that you're staying away from that because gambling is sort of feeds your greed and it doesn't allow you really to trust in the Lord and your hard work and all of that. So gambling is something, there's a lot of attendant sins that come along with gambling. It ruins people's lives and people become addicted to it. It works against hard work. Maybe also the idea of making little stones or bones and then casting them sounds a little bit too much like pagan witchcraft or something like that. And it makes us feel uneasy. When you read a passage like Deuteronomy 18 and other locations of Scripture, it severely condemns any seeking of mediums or spiritists or looking for special signs or consulting spirits or using divination or magic spells or incantation or trying to read the entrails of some kind of an animal to figure out what God is saying. All of this evil and supernatural stuff that is celebrated around the time of Halloween has demons as its origin, and we are to reject it. Maybe, too, we are a society that has become dominated by the false idea of luck. Even though I think most of you would probably recognize that having a lucky charm or rabbit's foot does not benefit you. I hope you understand that. Many of you still say when someone wins something, oh, look how lucky you were. But if there is no luck, why are you telling them that they're lucky? I don't get it. You know, maybe if modern Americans were in the room after Matthias won, they would have slapped them on the back and said, man, you're lucky. You get to be one of the 12. Most people, I think, reject the use of lots without considering the strong scriptural evidence for them. In our man-centered society, we seem to forget that the role of dice, even in Vegas, is determined by God as Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 indicates. That includes, by the way, when a football hits the goalpost and doesn't go in for your team. Or when someone wins the lottery. It's not luck. It is a divine provision for that person. It has nothing to do with karma. Karma does not exist. What does exist is a personal God and an all-knowing God who rules every tiny little detail in this universe. And he doesn't rule it by luck. That's impersonal. That has no blessing associated with it. When God brings something to you and a chance happening, you lift your eyes and you thank the Lord above because that's not a chance happening. He gave it to you. And you don't interpret the bad things that happen to you as bad from God. You read scripture and understand he's just simply testing your faith. Some of you need to chew on that a little bit and maybe alter some of your vocabulary, the way you describe events to others. Nobody is lucky. Nobody is unlucky. They are sometimes blessed by the providence of God at all times. They are loved by a heavenly father above. Providence is God's care for all things, even the tiny little thing. Didn't Jesus make that point when he said, not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from your father? We might even say his providence is seen so beautifully, especially in the little things. Who can work out all the details of a little answer to prayer except the Lord God? And how fearful that is when you've prayed for something and you see the little details that are laid out and you look, there's nobody that could know those details except me and God. And you're like, wow. Lots were simply a way of believers expressing their belief in God's providence over the little things. These brethren 
all accepted this decision as from the Lord Jesus Christ. But was it the right decision? Or was Peter, his previous impatient self, did they run ahead of the Lord? Should they have waited until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and then selected Paul as the 12th apostle? As I said before, the entire narrative is not written to point out that the brethren made a mistake. Instead, they are held up as a positive example. I believe it is wrong to censure these 120 brethren who were of one mind in the decision and who were thoroughly devoted to prayer and to the word of God and who used a divinely sanctioned method to determine God's will. The timing of the decision was pinpoint accurate. The decision had to be made prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit because they would be giving their testimony, which the Holy Spirit would empower. Furthermore, nothing in the text ever questions the decision. In verse 26, it says, Matthias was numbered with the 12. That is definitive, and that is never reversed after this. Furthermore, the entire church in one voice confirmed the decision, not just Peter. And the name of the apostles changed from the 11 in verse 26 and to the 12, you'll notice, in Acts 2 and verse 14, and later even in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. They were the 12. They were the 11, and then they became the 12. Even the Holy Spirit confirmed Matthias as Jesus' choice by giving Matthias the ability to perform miraculous signs the same way the other 11 apostles did. And that's according to Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. But what about Paul? Yes, he was a true apostle. And he writes that at the beginning of some of his letters. But he was not one of the 12 apostles. First, Paul did not meet the qualifications of the 12 because Paul had not been with Jesus since the preaching of John the Baptist. Paul didn't even become a believer until a few years after the church was born. In fact, he tried to stamp out the church. Second, Paul was never considered part of the 12. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 5 and 8, Paul writes about the 12 as a group outside of himself. Paul knew that his apostleship was special and untimely. He, unlike the 12, was an apostle born out of time, is the way he described it. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. In Romans eleven thirteen, he says, I am an apostle of Gentile. In Galatians 2, 9, he says that, that Peter's apostleship was to the Jews and his was to the Gentiles. Indeed, that's part of the flow of the book of Acts, that the first 12 chapters are focused on the mission to the Jews and the last are focused on the mission to the Gentiles, and Paul's bringing that there. In fact, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, and at that time, according to Acts 22, 21, said, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So yes, Paul was an apostle, But he was not one of the twelve. And yes, Matthias was the right selection for the apostles. This is an amazing thing if you think about it. Some little stone goes and bounces out of some little bag or container, flips this way and flips that way, lands on a certain side, and forever now the name Matthias will be etched in the new Jerusalem on the foundation stone. It's just amazing. Our God is amazing. And with this selection, all was now ready for the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. 
I want to say again that their example here shows that when we obey God together and we strive together for unity and we pray together and we work together, God blesses that atmosphere. God is at work in that, this atmosphere. We need to follow the example of the early disciples and be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We remember that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we remember that there's one Holy Spirit. And I'm excited about learning about the coming of the Holy Spirit next time we meet. Have you ever struggled to interpret the Lord's will on an important matter? You heard in today's message from Pastor Tom about the time that the apostles needed to appoint the 12th disciple. They did the hard work of narrowing it down to two great candidates, but ultimately they needed the Lord to make the decision for them. After taking time to pray about it, they cast lots to determine God's answer, and it was revealed that Matthias was to be the 12th apostle. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443-200-HOPE. Tune in to Discover Hope next time to hear Pastor Tom teach about the Holy Spirit. You will hear about Pentecost, the day that the followers of Jesus receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper and our advocate, and we have access to Him now. He emboldens and empowers you to do the will of God and share your witness of the gospel to others. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting HopeBibleChurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.